In Isaiah chapter 9, a familiar text at Christmas time, verse 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Isaiah is telling us that in the future there would be an authoritative figure, not political figure. If you recall, if you've heard or read the New Testament, you'll find out that Jesus was constantly saying, my kingdom is not of this world. Because in those days, the religious folks feeling uh, unfairly treated in the culture, they wanted Jesus to come in and set up the kingdom. And he kept saying, no, 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 it's not of this world. It's a very larger perspective than just that. But he's an authoritative figure. He has authority because he was God in flesh. Not a political authority. He's an authoritative figure who we will call wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Let me unpack those just for a moment. A wonderful counselor means that he helps us have a, a chance to change our thinking. It's good counseling. In other words, he's the best counselor you can find. He's a great counselor, a wonderful counselor who helps us have healthy attitudes, healthier relationships with others, helps in our ability to live differently and to get along with each other in difficult situations. I mean, we, we need family counseling. We need marriage counseling, all right? We all need it. I don't care how long you've been married and how good you think it is. You have no idea what you're missing until you go get some good old-fashioned counseling and somebody will look you in the eye and go, Grubs, you can do better than this. And that helps. I've heard it many times. <laughs> I'm a big fan of counseling. I'm not ashamed to, ashamed to admit it. It always helps. So he is our wonderful counselor. And truthfully, typically, a place where we need counseling the most is usually going to be found in our relationships, particularly our family relationships. Uh, my uh, 40th 45th high school reunion was last year. Uh, I graduated from high school when I was 10. I was an excelling student and uh, with honors. And um, so it was a 45th high school reunion and I didn't go. I haven't been to one yet in, in all 45 years. They probably don't even know I'm alive. But I saw some pictures after the reunion. They posted some stuff and I put up these pictures. And I'm like, Kim, these people look so old. What happened to them? Some of them have not done well. Something went wrong here. So I, you know, look, and she said, well, go look in the mirror. So I said, well, thanks a lot, you know. <laughs> but I did hear of a couple at, the, at a reunion who, um, her husband takes her to her high school reunion. She'd been begging her husband, just go with me. Please go with me this time. So she went along with her husband. And so after meeting several of her friends, the former schoolmates and all, they're sitting at a table where he's yawning and clearly not pleased to be there, overly bored. The band cranks up the music and people are beginning to dance. And there's a guy on the dance floor who's, you know, my age, and he's just living at large. He's breakdancing, moonwalking, backflips, buying drinks for everyone, you, you name it. So his wife leans over to him and says, honey, you see that guy? 
25 years ago, he proposed to me and I turned it down. And her husband said, looks like he's still celebrating. <laughs> Gentlemen, that was for you. So they need some counseling, obviously, all right? So we have a wonderful counselor that will help change our thinking because occasionally we just need someone to talk to us, to hear what I've got. I go to counselor occasionally or some of our own right here in the church and I'll say, listen to my thoughts here and tell me how far off is this? Am I, am I thinking clearly about this? It may be a, a people problem, a, a relationship problem, uh, either involving me or not, but I'm a, I'm a big believer in the ability our wonderful counselor, Jesus himself has through his word, through prayer, through his spirit, he has the power to change our thinking, to help us face issues we'd rather not face, to help us live differently. That's what a wonderful counselor does. And then he's the mighty God. Mighty God means he helps us make wise decisions. We receive good counsel, and what are we gonna do with it? So the mighty God, we turn to the mighty God who help us follow through. He'll give us the strength, the courage to make hard decisions and then to help us implement them. So we can depend on God to help us do the right thing in any situation, even when it's hard to do. As the everlasting father, he's a permanent presence of love, guidance, forgiveness, the everlasting father. In other words, he doesn't just come for a while and leave. When you open your life to him, he'll come and he'll stay forever. He promises that. The whole point to some degree of Jesus' coming was that if we would believe in him, Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. He's the everlasting father, a permanent presence of love and guidance and forgiveness. And as the Prince of Peace, of course, he helps us through the trials of life to find peace in the most difficult circumstances we might encounter. Really, the Isaiah passage starts at verse two saying this, which is a true statement. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And we have. I hope you've seen Jesus. Some of you have been looking for him. And unfortunately, there are times you will meet, you think you've met Jesus, but you didn't meet the real Jesus. You've met an angry Jesus. You've met a judgmental Jesus. You've, you've met a, hype, you know, a, a, a Jesus that is not interested really in what you have to do, a Jesus that's gonna just fix everything. That's not Jesus. Jesus is the one who comes in and says, I want you to love each other like I've loved you. He says, God so loved this world that he came to us. He came to us and he didn't have to do it. Now he thought he did and I'm glad he did because we really did need his presence and he came to put an end to all the sacrifices that had to be made using real blood of an animal and say enough is enough. Because that's what you do, did before Jesus when you had messed up and even when you hadn't messed up you went to the temple to give the appropriate sacrifice that would be another sign of you're forgiven. No more animals. Jesus took that on himself and he has given us his life. Well, when you read these texts in, in Isaiah about the, the wonderful counselor of the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, it would be 700 more years 
before the one they're talking about would actually come to the earth. And all of a sudden, seven, nearly 700 years later, this story begins to unfold of all places in the Middle East, of all places in Bethlehem, which is about six or seven miles from Jerusalem. In other words, it's right there in the middle of what's going on there today. I saw an, an article this morning in a news feed that Bethlehem has canceled Christmas. They've canceled Christmas. But then I read on and I read it from a few others, some thoughts on that. And they're gonna have Christmas. They can't help but have Christmas. It just won't look like last year's. The prayer concerns are greater than a year before. The mourning has never been as hurtful as it is now. But Jesus enters into this world, and frankly, when Jesus was born on this earth, don't for a minute allow you to think it was some glowing moment in the culture. It was not. Their, their political situation at that time when Jesus was born makes ours look like a, a cakewalk. And we think we've got problems in our country. We got a few. But the, the political environment was hard for us to imagine. If you do some reading about it, the King Herod, as Terry Fake said last Sunday, King Herod was an, was an expert at killing people. In fact, he's known to be a king that killed more people than any of the others. And he was not happy about this birth he's starting to hear about in Bethlehem. In Luke 1, 26, the angel appears to Mary and, and the, the angel says, greetings, you're highly favored. Greetings, highly favored woman. And of course, Mary's confused about this and she's thinking, uh, no, 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 there's something not right here. And the angel said, no, 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 don't be afraid because God has decided to bless you. Okay, that's always a good thing, isn't it? And then the angel said, you're pregnant. And she said, can't be. I'm a virgin, can't be. Impossible. And the angel assured her, you're going to give birth to God's son, the Messiah. Young girl. Those are very different times. We, are, we tend to process that moment, process the angel's statements, process Mary's response. We tend to process that, process that through our current state of things as people in, in this decade, in 2020s and all that. We, we tend to process that. They probably had a little more time to think through some things in this story than we might imagine. But only God could pull that off and we're still talking about it over 2,000 years later. One of the great statements of the Bible, one of my favorites has always been the, the last thing Mary says in that conversation with the angel. It, to me, is one of the greatest statements. It's easy to memorize. When Mary said, okay, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. The baby was born and she gave him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Then let's go to Matthew chapter two, where we now see the New Testament unfolding of this miracle that we talked about back in Isaiah. 
Matthew chapter 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star as it rose and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting with the leading priests and teachers of religion and said, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? Herod was not interested and not curious in bringing a kingly greeting to this situation. He would make sure this situation, if, if it was true, wouldn't last very long. He would take care of that. Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. He learned from them the time when they first saw this star. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. The star they'd seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them, stopped over the place where the child was born. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route because God had told them not to return to Herod. Interesting side note. The wise men were magi. They were basically astrologers, which was very common in that day. Many, many people were astrologers watching for signs in the sky to give them a glimpse of what the universe must be like. They paid far more attention to the sky than we do. And it's our loss. The wise men, they were skilled with philosophy, medicine, science. They were good and holy men who sought for truth. And in those days, everyone, again, believed in astrology. There was something powerful happening in the sky. They always wanted to try to figure that out. What's that mean? They believed the stars could tell them many things about the world, about the future. They'd studied the stars. So anything new in the sky or anything out of the ordinary was of great interest to them and quickly noticed. The biblical scholars knew the writings in the Old Testament about the prophecy of the coming Messiah. It's interesting. When the wise men are speaking with some of the authorities and King Herod and others in that day, the religious folks knew about the star. They might have even seen it, but they really decided to do nothing about it. It just was another star, I guess, in their thinking. So the wise men have come to Bethlehem and they've got to have, they're almost there and they need clarity from, they need to get some directions. They need some clarity there. Okay, it's here. Which way from from here do we go to finish this journey? It was only 6.7 more miles. And the wise men went. And the biblical scholars who knew the writings of the Old Testament about prophecy of the coming Messiah, they claimed to believe it was really going to take place. And it was unfolding 6.7 miles away from them. And none of them chose to go see what was going on. An interesting note. The wise men were considered among the most brilliant of the day. And you would think religious leaders in Jerusalem might have taken a cue from from their interest and walked along with them. But they didn't do that. And I see this story as being similar to our search for Jesus, frankly. If Christmas does anything for you, I hope it at least make you think about it. Maybe one more time. 
The religious leaders knew the prophecy, they knew the story, but they did nothing to pursue it. Nothing. What did they have to lose? Kim and I, uh, for the last several years, have gone to Nashville, uh, which uh, is one of my favorite places. And uh, we've seen Amy Grant and Vince Gill at the Ryman in Nashville. The Ryman is this historic church. It is just fantastic. Even with these hard antique benches as pews, they're pews, hard wooden pews. You think they get some cushions on them. I think they do pretty well. But that would ruin the room. And for two and a half hours, we sat there and those benches didn't bother us. And for us, that's kind of become our Christmas. We had some friends with us and we can go to dinner and we can walk in there and we can just have Christmas. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to worry about anything. Don't have to wonder if everything's gonna be okay on this. You know, I think Vince and Amy had it down. They did really, really, really well. <laughs> it was awesome. But during a song that Amy was singing in this case, my wheels started turning about where to find Jesus and how people went looking for him. And I wrote this down while this song was being sung. I don't remember the title of the song, but I scribbled this down as fast as I could. Because you see, the religious leaders would have thought Jesus would be born, but they assumed that would happen at the temple, that surely when God comes to earth, he'll come to the holiest place of all, and that would be the temple. But he wasn't in the temple. And then they thought, well, surely he will at least appear to the scholars and the wise people, the religious folks. Maybe he would start there. And they weren't, he, he wasn't among the scholars. He didn't show up. If you go look into the temple, if you go trying to meet with scholars, if you go look into deep theology, you wouldn't find him there. Because you're gonna find him in a barn full of hay among people who'd never been invited to anything. Shepherds were too unclean to ever get to go to church. The cleansing you had to go through just to get in the church was not worth it. In other words, they weren't good enough. They were not clean according to Jewish law. It's interesting where Jesus showed up and the people he used to get this story to the world. I think we can all find ourselves there. I really believe that. Theologian William Barclay says this, there's not the slightest need to think that the story of the coming of the Magi to the cradle of Christ is only a lovely legend. Now this is important. It's exactly the kind of thing that could easily happen and that is we could kind of mark this off. It's a wonderful sweet story from the past. Isn't that great? Let's light the lights. Let's have some turkey and call it good and go home. And we'll do that anyway. We're gonna light lights. We're gonna do turkey and then we're gonna take naps. Uh, which is, God, it's in the Bible somewhere, I'm sure. So, but listen to this. Colin Humphreys at the University of Cambridge said this about 10 years, I think 10, 20 years ago. He says this, Cambridge now, this isn't lightweight. Archaeologists today can point to the historical evidence that the star of Bethlehem was a comet visible in 5 BC, which is described in detail in ancient Chinese records. The wise men did in fact see a star that was unlike any other they had ever seen. And they can prove it. The entire story of Christ's arrival on earth, it's about his desire to come to us personally, to come to us face to face, heart to heart, 
And that's the gift he gave us. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, I guess he would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, so we didn't have to hang on to stuff we wish we could forget. You see, our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior who came because he wanted to be with us. Let me close with this story that paints it perfectly. As a pastor, I uh, wish I'd known him. I read some of his books, and uh, about the time I discovered him, he was in his 60s, and uh, cancer took him way too quickly, and I never got a chance to meet him. I may have written him a note or two. Wonderful books that he wrote. And I've told this at an event earlier this month, and they encouraged me to tell it again. I've kind of lived the story. You'll get, me, you'll get it in a minute. So uh, a grandfather goes to his daughter's house to see the, the three-year-old baby. That's what grandfathers do. And they show up unannounced, frankly, and should be perfectly allowed to do that uh, without any complaint. So, and I, I actually have daughter-in-laws like that. So he's ready to go over to the playpen to pick up the little boy that he just couldn't get enough of. You know, that's what grandparents do. When our, when our grandkids, you know, people, when our, our daughters, uh, daughter, daughter-in-laws, I've got two of those and a daughter. So uh, daughter-in-laws ha- were having children. Everybody in the church is stopping me. Oh, they were just going on. They'd pull out the camera. They're, you got to see the picture. These are my grandkids. Da, da, da. And I'd walk across going, I'd leave that sister going, I will never, ever be that kind of person. And I have become one worse than any of you have ever been. Grandpa wants to pick up the grandchild in the playpen. And then the daughter says, no, 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 no. He's in timeout. He can't leave the, he can't leave the playpen. And for, there's not a grandfather around that would not have said, it'll be fine, get over it, I'll take care of this. <laughs> then they wouldn't let us just stop by. So he's sitting in a chair trying to read the paper and over, you know, he glanced over at the playpen and the three-year-old's just you know, looking at him. <laughs> Please get me out of here. And you may know what's coming. It's a true story. He thought, you know, I can't get him out. I can't, he can't come sit with me. So grandpa walked over to the playpen and got in it. <laughs> he got in it then he could be with his grandkid and not break any rules. I can't imagine the look on his daughter's face. What do you do with that? And that story reminds me, and hopefully you, Jesus saw us in our desperate need, and for whatever reason, in that particular time, it says the time had come, and he came and he crawled into the playpen with us, And he said, you're going to be okay. I'll love you regardless. I'm going to get you through whatever you got to go through. And he does that over and over again. He's done it over and over again for me and for so many of you. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for the opportunity we have each year to set aside some time to celebrate one of the greatest things that had ever happened on planet Earth.
And Father, that's when you came to us in flesh. Father, we thank you for the timeless truths that we enjoy, that we learn. Thank you, Father, for the patience that is given to us as we apply the things we know to be right with you. And Father, I pray tonight for those who might feel a little beat up by someone or certainly by maybe even a church. And I pray tonight that they would understand that you are right there with them in whatever they're facing. They can trust you. And Father, we pray that they would sense your presence and your love as they celebrate the gift that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.